Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing the good and the bad of various directors' movies, uh, along with many other things related and connected to movies. And uh, I guess we are back to uh, our normal format, <laughs> which, uh, which we've been off for a little while, haven't we? We have, yes. It's, it's been a long time coming, but uh, yeah, we, uh, we finally found a director that we didn't need to do much homework for, <laughs> Indeed. which is usually the case. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, uh, we'll, we'll hope to do a bit more of these. Yes. Well, I mean, that was yeah. the original ethos of the, uh, of the podcast, wasn't it? When, when, yes. when you pitched it to me nearly four years ago, yes. which is uh, frightening in itself. That's it, we've been at it for a while. Howdy hell. Yes, well, uh, as I say, we'll try and do more of these, um, as well as um, our other interview podcasts and uh, talking about some of the latest releases and stuff like that. Uh, so, yes, um, the director we're going to be talking about tonight is, um, he's kind of like, he hasn't been around that long, is he now? It's he's, he's sort of 20 years he's been around making films or that people have known about him. This is true. I mean, I mean, he is from our generation yes. very much. Uh, yeah. Lucky git. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, I almost feel like we could we could almost do it. Uh, there's so much to say, uh, both good and bad, <laughs> about this guy yeah. that we could almost do a entire series of podcasts um, around this dude. Really, <laughs> so. yeah. But let that let let's let another podcast do that because <laughs> it was just bad enough going back and visiting these films. Uh, if if you've not read what the uh, what the podcast title is, we are talking about M Night Shyamalan. Yes, who we have um, on quite a few occasions already spoken about um, on the podcast. Uh, you know, if if not uh, with other guests looking at certain films, um, he has indeed sort of his name has come up in passing <laughs> quite often. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's he's a, he's an interesting case because um, you know he he he. I remember ninety nine was this really good year for cinema because everybody was looking forward to to Phantom Menace to the new Star Wars film and which was, we never mention. <laughs> which we never mention. <laughs> Take a drink now. Um, and the thing was, there was far more interesting films that came out of nowhere, it seemed, and, uh, you know, sort of took the Star Wars crown away. And The Sixth Sense was one of those films. I mean, it was a phenomenon back in the day. You know, everybody, if somebody said, I see dead people, people knew straight away it was The Sixth Sense. So imagine you're um, a director and you know, early on in your career and you make a feature film that is has that much of an impact on audiences. And, yeah. and, and the thing for me, 
with M Night, I felt that he should have carried on writing stories that were interesting instead of writing stories that would have a twist. <laughs> yes, yes, he almost became his a, a, his own trope, didn't he? I <laughs> mean, he, he is. He's still yeah. doing it. He he cannot help himself. It's um, he pigeonholed himself. And he, he has this weird thing where, you know, he, you know, he, he made this such a big splash in the industry and, you know, you know, on the planet that he tried to, you know, continue trying to, you know, be better, make, you know, be a bigger success than the last one by doing exactly what he did last time. And, Films like that, films like Sixth Sense, there are lightning in a bottle, and it's really hard to capture twice. And if you see directors who you know, who have had a massive career, who we hold up really high, you see that they tend to go somewhere else. So you know, Scorsese, he makes um, a Goodfellas, and then he goes and makes The Last Temptation of Christ, or the other way around, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, they're, they're, you know, if you look at these filmmakers' um, filmographies, you see how different they are. I mean, take the, the guy that he was compared to at one point, Steven Spielberg. Do you remember <laughs> when he was being held up as the next Steven Spielberg? Steven, I do indeed. You know, yeah. Steven Spielberg, uh, you know, he did Jaws. And then instead of making another shark film, he went and made Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Exactly. He left someone else to the other shark film. Exactly. Which was a wise thing. But yes. And that's, that's the lesson M. Night Shyamalan didn't learn. Because he was the guy who went, oh, I want to do another, I'll make another twist film. And I'll make another twist film. And I'll make another twist film. Yeah. To the point where you could see them coming, which which we'll come to. But I mean, yeah. you, you know, he, he did have. Um, I mean, we've we've already talked uh, on previous episodes um, about the Sixth Sense, and you know um, what an impact it, it, it sort of had on us personally, as well as the the industry in general. And you know, you have to remember he had that hit. It wasn't his first film, but he had that hit before he was even thirty. So, um, you know, he was very, still very young uh, in director's terms. And, um, yeah, he, he absolutely knocked it out of the park with that. And, um, y y you know, uh, <laughs> it was, well, for, for me, an incredibly impressive film. And um, I would say that, well, which we'll get into in tonight's episode, but... Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's had quite an interesting journey following that film. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, for better or for worse. And um, I, I think there's no doubt about the fact that he's a good filmmaker. He's an incredibly good filmmaker in terms of he understands, uh, you, you know, directing in terms of where to put a camera when to move a camera, where to place an edit, um, you, you, you know, color palettes, thematics involved with that sort of stuff, the psychology of where he puts the camera, 
you, you know, all of those sort of things. Um, you know, he is, he is definitely, I mean, yes, he's been inspired by, as, as everyone has, you, you know, many other greats out there before him. But, uh, you know, I will say that um, when people say, oh, you know, M. Night Shyamalan's a, a, you know, terrible director or whatever, I always disagree with people when they say that because I don't, I think he's made some questionable choices and um, he has written some scripts that, that haven't been developed as well as they could have been, to say the least. And um, we've also talked about the fact that, uh, you know, before that on some of his later films, he, he put himself too much in the forefront in terms of a, a, as an actor in those films as well, when perhaps he shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, but, in, but in terms of, you know, craftful filmmaking and understanding the medium and understanding it as a story, a visual storytelling medium, um, I really don't think that he can be sort of faulted for that. And when people do, uh, I, I tend to get a little bit annoyed in those sort of conversations because I know a lot of people who slag him off and... I sort of think they've missed the point as to why he's done some awful films. It's not necessarily that he's a bad, you know, he's bad at the craft of filmmaking. It's just that, you know, he has written some terrible scripts and um, he's, he, you know, he's directed some terrible performances. <laughs> but, but, in, but in terms of, uh, you, you know, the, the other side of directing, you know, there's always two sides of directing. There's the, the visual and technical side, and then there's the working with actors part. And uh, he's got half of it very good. <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, he has very good teams around him. Um, he's worked with a lot of the same people over multiple films. And so, you know, he, he, he has a very good editor he works with. He has a very good DOP he works with. You know, uh, he has Tom Thomas Newton Howard did most of his scores, and so he he has a a great team of people around him, uh, and also I think his better work was when he had somebody else producing, and it wasn't a written, produced, and directed by M Night Shyamalan film. That was when you started to see a lot of the problems because there wasn't anybody there really to say to him, well why are you doing this or you know there was nobody questioning him yeah it's kind of like yeah, well, the george lucas thing where when people stopped questioning what he was doing and let him get on with it that's when he didn't that was when he as a filmmaker started to go bad um you know start making you know some questionable choices because there wasn't anybody there to question what they were doing to, to butt heads some directors can work great, you know, by themselves, you know, doing the whole thing. And other directors need a little bit of that, you know, somebody to butt heads with. Mm -hmm. and I, I think, couldn't, agree, and couldn't I th agree with you yeah, more. Absolutely. And I think that's what M. Night needs. Because, um, I mean, we haven't picked it as our, our, our movie hell or movie heaven. But, you know, and I think people will be quite surprised. But the fact is that Lady in the Water is a film that I have not seen. I do not want to see. I think it's terrible, the whole idea. And I think also it, he committed the, the worst sin of all 
of not just putting himself in the film, but giving him this role where he is a saviour character. He is <laughs> he's God, this, yes. He's, well, he's not God, but no, I know. He, he's, but... he's an author, a writer, yes. who will go on and write a book that will influence a child who will become the President of the United States. Yeah. Well, I, that I, I is, did... That's, that is... I mean, that is the total... Uh, you know, when we say somebody's got a big head, that's that's <laughs> that's beyond ego. That is just... And I have to say, I mean, I don't know if that was self-inflicted, if that was... Or it was just the way that everybody was around him building him up. Because, as, I, as I've said, you know, he was being touted as the next Steven Spielberg. Yeah, but. Yeah. I, there was nothing there really to to say that he was, you know, going to be that big. No, I mean Steven Spielberg is there for a reason, you know. He he's, he, I mean, we have a podcast on Steven Spielberg, so you can go and listen to our thoughts on there. But the thing is, Steven, as I said, Steven Spielberg, as great as he was doing a thriller. He was also great doing a popcorn film and a historical drama and a war film. You know, that he's got a lot of uh, genres under his belt that he's done. You know, some films have been more successful than others, but they, you know, they, they, they're all of a certain quality and he's always trying new things and new techniques. And M. Night sort of settled for this. I'm going to write a story and it's going to be a twist. Yeah. And it's, you know, the the magic trick worked extremely well the first time. It worked, it worked well the second time. Then the third time we get, we get into silly territory because we've got to have a twist. And then the fourth and then the fifth. And then he goes and makes uh, The Last Airbender, which is a total mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. well- well, I need to say, I need to say as the caveat for this podcast, actually, for me, yeah. is there are two films of his that I haven't seen, and okay. they are The Last Airbender and After Earth. Okay. I've, seen, <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen everything else that came before it and everything that's come since it, yeah. uh, but those two are the ones I missed. I, I did see The Lady in the Water, yeah. and... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was problematic to say the least, even though it did have some absolutely fantastic actors involved in that film. Um, and this was, you, you know, you're absolutely right. This was sort of the, um, you know, this this film had like a, a $75 million uh, budget. And of course, this was when he had a relationship with, with Disney, um, you, you know, under the Touchstone logo at the time, and um, uh, I know that I know that because of you, you know he had complete well he, before this when this was being developed he had the relationship with Disney and it broke down yes uh, prior to this which is why it went to War- I think Brothers. Warner Brothers yeah and of course um, Warner Brothers for this gave him absolutely complete you know, artistic control over everything. And, um, yeah, what we get is a film that's, uh, you know, that's confusing, misguided, and, uh, like you said, has him in in essentially the the third 
I guess, the third credited role in the film, yeah. um, which, you know, I've said he's a great director. Um, and this is coming from me, you know, as you know, I, I, I make films and I act as well. And I have done one film where I did both. Um, but, uh, you know, so it might be slightly hypocritical for me to say this, but, you know, but I don't think M. Night is, is necessarily a good actor. Um, you, you know, my, my heroes being, you know, the likes of sort of Clint Eastwood and Kevin Costner and Kenneth Branagh and, and those type of actor directors. Yeah. And obviously loads, loads are doing it today as well. Bradley Cooper and Ben Affleck and whatever. But, um, but, you know, I grew up on those, those, those forementioned ones and, um, you know, M night is, 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 is sort of not up there in my opinion with those sort of things. And I, I just think he had too big a role, um, in that particular film. Well, yeah. I mean, up, up to that point, his roles were getting bigger and bigger. I mean, it literally went from a cameo in Sixth Sense to, you know, as you say, being the saviour character in The in the Lady in the Water. And each film, his role got bigger and bigger. And the thing is, with the likes of Clint Eastwood and Kevin Costner and, and those actor-directors, they're actors first. They made their careers acting and then they became directors. Yes. M. Night was a director... Who became an actor? Yeah, and it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work that way. It, it, no, I'm, no, I mean, it's fair to say his first film, *Praying with Anger*, um, he did actually, you know, direct and act in that as well. But I'm, um, you know, few people have actually seen that film because obviously that was a, a very sort of low-budget early film for him, which sort of gave him, you know, his, his break to get his next sort of. Um, uh, you know, comedy drama, which was Wide Awake, which was right. a couple of years before he did Sixth Sense. So, um, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. You're absolutely right. Most of those other examples that I gave there have, mm. have, have started out as, as actors and kind of learnt the filmmaking business through the process of, of, of acting and, uh, you know, being on set and, and getting involved with other, you know, top name directors etc yeah um before sort of branching out to do to do that and uh, you know and good on them i'm quite envious of them <laughs> but uh but that's a whole other thing but yeah so i i, I just want to say about um the two films you missed just to, to fill in your education here um the last airbender i th it was a bit of an impossible task because the show Avatar The Last Airbender ran for three seasons and, you know, it covered a lot within that time. So, so make a feature out of all that was very difficult. And also the thing is that the powers that these different tribes had, you know, earth, wind and fire, um, you know, to it was easier to put them on screen in cartoon form than it was to put it in movie form. And it's just, I think it was a bad, bad mix, really. I don't think, I mean, M. Knight's um, dialogue, as he progressed, gets worse and worse, or more, it's more stilted. It's, it's, he has a weird writing, a dialogue style that sort of has carried on to his later films. And it works depending on what the subject is. 
but um, and who's doing and the actor as well. I mean, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, no, <laughs> but um, but the thing is, so they 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 had these characters, these Earth movers, and in the cartoon they were moving massive rocks, huge boulders, you know, the tops of mountains. And in the film, they were just moving like blocks, <laughs> these little bits of of, of stone. And it's just you know it. it yeah, I heard it, it was pretty bad. It was it was very bad. And then um, the thing is with um, the other one, After Earth, it it reminded me a lot of like seventies sci fi, sort of cartoon sci fi. But uh, it, it's again. It was very. You had Will Smith in it, and he was very stilted. You know, he, he again. He was an M Night Shyamalan character, and I know this project was actually Will Smith's idea, and also a project for his son to be the lead, because you know he's been pushing the uh, the, the Smith clan onto us. They're 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 not a scratch on the the old man and uh, and his missus, you know. No, no, no not not at all. But yet they they keep pushing them. It's like no, just leave us alone. Let them go and do something else. They they half the time they look really unhappy to be doing it, you know. Yeah. No, well, that, that that's my opinion. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the Smiths <laughs> personally, <laughs> so I can't say. But, but they're yeah, doing very well, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, it, but not so, in that film. <laughs> so you know, you have Will Smith. You know, Bad Boys, Independence Day, even Wild Wild West. You know, he's a kind of you know likable. You know, he's a little bit over the top. You know, he's you know running his mouth off that kind of thing, and in this, he's like stilted, looking at things, man, and it just it doesn't work. It's just you know, casting wise, it, he's a wrong mix. You know. You need to be doing something else, but it's. I don't know. I guess it has its fans. Again, it didn't do very well, um, and yeah. you know that was kind of like the low point for him. And he's he's had a little bit of resurgence now. He's had a comeback, um, and uh, yeah, and I must admit, he's kind of got back to form really. Yeah, it looks yeah. like we're going to agree on this podcast thing because I must admit, I never know because we hadn't really discussed this beforehand whether we were going to be in agreement on stuff or yeah. or um, disagreement on stuff. But you're, you're you saying a return to form there is exactly what I would um, what mm. what I would say, and I've got my when we get to it, I've got my um, yeah. personal um, thoughts as to why I think that is, but. Um, uh, and also, by the way, second caveat of this uh, podcast, because I'm sort of um, self-censoring myself because I realize we live in such uh, crazy times at the moment. Um, I, I do also realize that the, uh, again, because I'm talking personally, the yeah. the uh, the actor-directors that I cited there, even though there's been, there were many before them as well, but I also realized that though they are, of course, white male directors. And um, of course, you know, there are many other, (laughs) 
actor directors and actress directors out there as well today i'm pleased to say so um i'm not trying to uh you, you know. mean you you left denzel washington out mate well i did which is which is uh, unforgivable because um he's really good but yes. uh but yeah and, and also you know it's it's good to see we're living in a time where you know some actress um actresses are becoming filmmakers as well so uh you, you know it, it's 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 all good i just want to say we're 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 very open and diverse even though we don't always sound like it yeah <laughs> it's all right I, I i don't know i don't feel you need to apologize for citing actor directors that you like and are an influence on you well they were the ones i grew up with exactly. i mean obviously you know orson wells had been doing it long before and all this sort of thing and i get that before people say oh you missed this and you missed that but i'm talking about I the ones i personally grew up with yeah and i don't think anybody's gonna i don't think anybody's gonna you know make a thing out of it well maybe i'm being too sensitive that's what it is there you go could be, could be. <laughs> So anyway, sorry. Back to Mr. Charlemagne. <laughs> yes, let's let's move on because before we get even more sensitive. Indeed. Uh, right. So we're gonna go through our picks of uh, movie heaven, movie hell, and we always start with the movie heavens. So for my pick for movie heaven, I went with the Sixth Sense. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> you get no argument from me there. Yeah. I think it's yeah. a wonderful film. So, yeah. <laughs> in 99, um, I was working in a, in a cinema, uh, as our listeners will know. And um, I was on, I went on holiday to Philadelphia around the time this was actually coming out of the cinemas in America and coming to the cinemas in the UK. So I was actually in Philadelphia and I got to sort of walk the uh, the streets where that was filmed and where Rocky was filmed as well, which uh, I must have mean was much more of a, <laughs> a thing for me. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, oh, I must admit I liked Philadelphia, but uh, I, I have one criticism for Mr. M. Knight, who, you know, base most of his films in Philadelphia he uh, never really shows the poor side of Philadelphia. There is a, a when I was there in '99, uh, you could see the poverty on the streets. It was very much the outskirts of town were very run down. And you know. yeah, well, apparently, apparently he came from an affluent background. I well, believe. Yeah. And I, I and I you know and I understand this. The center of town is is very pretty. They do keep it, you know well looked after and it is very much all those red brick buildings and those squares and and stuff like that but um it's a shame he doesn't show more the grime because it's you know i I, so imagine what it must be like now you know in the day of these days i don't know if it's better i i have a feeling it's probably worse I have to confess, I've never actually been to Philadelphia. I've been to quite a lot of the US, um, but that's one uh, part of the country that I haven't actually explored yet. So um, uh, It's very much like you see it in the sixth sense. And I was lucky enough that when I was there in Philadelphia, it was actually the same time as, um, you know, it was sort of the end of September, beginning of October. So all the stores were all kitted out for Halloween and everything. And, 
um, I went to like the sort of the sort of mall, the small malls on the highways that you sort of see in the film. You know, I, you know, I I don't know if I actually visited the locations from the film, but I saw a lot of similar places that are in the film. As a little aside to that, by the way, apparently one of the, uh, if you like, massive budgetary issues of uh, Lady in the Water was that, um, y you know, it was supposed to be set like um, somewhere, you know, like Florida or whatever, but um, uh, he actually had that apartment block built in Philadelphia so that he didn't have to go sort of more than 45 minutes from home, allegedly, is the story there. So, um, uh, yeah, craziness. <laughs> it's true. He had the that apartment building built in a studio. Uh, I don't know. I guess he... I mean, you could also say he maybe wanted to do have creative control. Maybe he, you know, he wanted to go down the Hitchcock route of you know building your own apartment and stuff like rear window that's definitely one of his influences as as yeah. you can see from from his films for yeah. sure and uh, why not still from the best <laughs> true but i mean oh well i mean if they're willing to give you the money i don't know i think i don't know if i would go down that route but uh it, it'd make more sense to, from a a logistics point of view because then you know you don't have to worry about people coming in interrupting your shots or having to uh, block off whole areas of of a motel or even i imagine you'd have to probably buy an apartment or something or yeah yeah i i, th I think i think i think where they was what they were saying in the particular um article i read it, it was less about obviously yeah you know fine sets for interiors for all sorts of production reasons that we we know and most of our listeners are probably aware of but uh apparently it was it was to do with the actual you know exterior location and uh, as i said they actually rather than going on location to do that um you know built the entire thing uh, mm. and apparently that was quite expensive so so rumor has it <laughs> but in the sixth sense it's it's mostly locations there you go. Nice, 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 nice. Bringing it back. Bringing it back. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because I don't want this to become the Lady in the Water podcast. No, no, definitely not. That's, that's, that's a, not a good film. <laughs> no, no. So um, why I picked this as, as heaven was the fact that it's, uh, it's such a well-written script. Uh, it's such a well-paced story and it's, you know, it's it's the film that, you know, people are like, do you know what the twist is? Oh, you know, uh, unfortunately for me, it was ruined by my cousin telling me. Oh, no. Yeah. Was it? Yes, it was. Because unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see it in the States because, as I said, it was coming out the cinemas then. So um, when I got back from the States, uh, I went to see it. But unfortunately, my cousin went to see it first and spoiled it for me. So... Uh, Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> Do because, they listen? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it kind of... So I didn't have the experience of watching it the first time, not knowing the twist. That's a shame. You yeah. you, you were robbed there. Cause, um, I was I robbed, remember... but it's, it's a film that... Um, still I mean, works. It still, it still works. works. I, I Going back and watching it, 
Um, it's very well played. It you know the first time you see it, um, the whole relationship between um, Bruce Willis's character and his wife. Um, you know it it plays as if you know that their their relationship is breaking down, and then spoilers because <laughs> you know we are talking about a twenty year old film now. So if you've not that's seen frightening, it, isn't it? Yeah, if you've not seen it, I'm sure you know what the twist is. But the second time watching it, seeing, you know, Bruce Willis is, you know, he doesn't, he he never interacts with anybody else but the kid. Uh, even that scene where he's sitting opposite the mother, it's played to, you know, the first time you see it, you think, oh, well, you know, she's sitting there waiting with him and, she knows what's going on. And the second time it's like, oh, she's sitting there not knowing what's that there's somebody else sitting with her. And yeah, I mean, just the, the writing is so well done. I mean, um, I actually watched it again today and mm. what he does with the, the ghost side of things is that he, you never see the ghosts until the little boy says, I see dead people. Then you see the ghosts. So you see everything, and it, you know, and it, it builds up to that point. So you, so, you know, the, the first thing you see is the whole, um, oh, when the mother walks out, you know, it's one shot where she's, you know, getting ready to go out and he's sitting there having his breakfast and, you know, she's sort of emptying the uh, the washing machine and she comes into the kitchen and then she goes out and then she comes back in and all the drawers and cupboards are open. And it's, yeah, it's, it's wonderfully done. And then, you know, you see the photographs of the boy with the little uh, sort of arc of light behind beside him, sort of indicating there's a ghost there. And then the whole, his uh, free writing where he's written all this horrible stuff. And then the, when he hears the voice coming out of the, uh, that sort of attic or that small crawl space, and it just builds and builds, and you, you know it, it's really well done. It's really well done, and you know to the point where, you know, finally he sort of realizes, you know, when he faces his fears and he starts helping the ghosts, and that's, you know, and that's when he sort of he gets on top of what his fear is yeah and you know up to this point there is you know there's no indication that um you know bruce willis is a ghost we we've seen that he got shot but we assumed that he you know he survived it and now he's having having troubles with his wife and i will say what m night does in this that works so well is that he uses editing in a way that, you know, you don't... When you see the twist... Because I think that's why the twist in this works so well. Is because of the use of editing. You know, because you don't... When there's a cut from a you know guy trying to get into uh, his workspace, which is the, the basement. And his entranceway is under the stairs. You just see him doing that. And then you see him go down. And then you see he's in his office. The, the normal, as an audience member, you've put the two scenes together. 
you've seen that okay he couldn't get in he reaches in his pocket to get a key so obviously he used the key to get in there you don't realize that he cannot see the fact that that's blocked off that every time he does that it's not because it's locked it's because there's a table in the way there's things he can't see so you know it's it's that, that use of editing and that's um language of editing uh, to tell the story and then when it reveals you know what actually is happening it it works so well and that's why i say this twist it, it's what blew people away it's why it's this mm. massive phenomenon or it was at the time because you know they, nobody saw the twist coming because at the end of the day you know it was all concentrated on bruce willis helping this kid who could see dead people yeah but if you never thought for a second that you know that Bruce Willis was one of the dead people. So going no, back and, no. and and then let's say when you go back and you see it a second time, knowing this again, it works so well because of the way uh, the performances are done, and yeah. it's it's very clever. No, I mean, I mean, I, I um, I've I've already sort of told this story on our um, ghosts episode that we had, but um, I I saw I actually saw it on opening day, and right. uh, I was living in in LA at the time. So I saw it at West Hollywood um, okay. during the day. And uh, can I just ask you, why did you go and see it? Cause uh, I mean, it, it was like a film that kind of came out of nowhere. So you were there opening day. What was it that made you, you know, want to go and see it opening day? Well, I mean, um, obviously like I still do today, I see, I see lots of movies anyway. Um, and, uh, you, you know, at the t I mean, again, sort of growing up, um, you know, despite what people think of him now, um, Bruce Willis was, was kind of a hero. Mm. Um, so, you know, his name attached to this, um, you know, this, this, this was before he sort of got the stigma that he's had in more recent years about being <laughs> grumpy, etc. But, you know, um, it was it was a Bruce Willis film. Um, I don't even know whether I'd seen a trailer or anything, actually. Um, but, yeah, I just I, I just decided I wanted to go and see it. You know, it was it was showing. I thought, oh, let's go and check this out. And, um, you know, I like to think, you know, I understand cinema quite well and i like to think that i'm usually you know ahead of the curve and and, and whatever with this sort of thing but <laughs> until the penny dropped for me the moment that that she dropped the the wedding ring and yeah. i was like oh my god i couldn't believe it i was like how did i not see that you know and and i just i was just blown away by it and um uh y you know it was it, it really it worked because as i said um i was actually um, quite sort of troubled by something at the time I went to see it. Um, okay. You know, something personal. And yeah. um, uh, it, it, I escaped for that two hours completely. And, um, uh, you, you know, it so worked. And then I think I saw it, I think I saw it at the cinema three three times. And then I got it on home media when it came out, uh, you know, on, on DVD. And, uh, you, you know, I've watched it. It is the film of his that I've watched the most definitely yeah and i have to say i mean not only is it a, a great script and masterfully um shot and crafted and edited by by him but also absolutely stellar performances in this um from everyone i mean yeah. tony collette 
who, by the way, I think was somewhat overlooked this year for her performance in Hereditary, which was um, incredibly powerful performance. But um, yeah, in this film, she's, her, she's wonderful in this. Hereditary wasn't a very good film. That's a whole other podcast, but yeah, but no, I mean, she 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 was her her performance in this film. Oh, she was amazing. Yes, Um, great. And I have to say, Haley Joel is amazing. Oh yeah. Um, You know, Olivia Williams, Bruce Willis. I mean, there's there's not there's not a um, a sort of even even M Knight's cameo in this is fine. (laughs) I I wanted to say about that. Now that you brought it up, I will. Um, I remember on the DVD um, they went through all the the cuts footage of of his cameo right now i believe that um he he did a martin scorsese and stepped in the last minute because the actor he hired to play that role dropped out last minute i I believe that's correct yes yeah but there is a lot of footage on the the cutting room floor of him trying to do the role the role was there was more to it and uh, in the end he just cut it down to uh, just that one bit. And I wish he'd just do that for the rest of his, <laughs> his the roles in his films. Because, I mean, they're not even cameos. I have to say, he's like, um, you know, like Tarantino in some of his films. When he comes on, <laughs> you start groaning. It's just like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> so, yeah, I think this is the only time, really, that um, I... I not bothered by his cameo it works as a cameo it's, it's very short and sweet and um you know he he, he cut it down to to the right amount yes know. so it just shows you kind of what how things had changed from that film to you know when yeah. he started doing the other ones but we'll get into that um, for sure and of yeah. course he had to cut his um which i'm sure everybody's seen this extra on the dvd or whatever but you know he talks about how he had to uh had to cut his favorite um scene which was the uh the 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 the, 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 the wedding video message oh, scene oh right yes um yeah. Yeah. which is a lovely scene but he 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 was absolutely right to cut it out because yeah. you know we the the twist was over and we knew it at that point, point and yeah. it was like well yeah move on then but um but it yeah. is it, as yeah. a scene in its own right it is actually a very well written and nicely performed scene uh, so if anybody hasn't seen it and they've got this on on the yeah, blu-ray or dvd or whatever it is it is available on there to see so i, I recommend you check it out it's not long yes yeah. i mean the end of the day it's <clears throat> you know it, it's the right length and it's very weird thing to say but i'm gonna say it, it's probably the most emotional of his films i, mean, I agree there's yes. you know the the twist at the end when you find out you know what actually happened to him is that sort of breaks your heart and the scene when uh, uh, Tony Collette and Hayley Joel Osment are in the car in the traffic jam. Yep. I was in bits. Oh, I was in bits. fucking gets me every time. Every yep. time. And there is no other performance or, you know, storytelling in any of his films that has moved me as much as, as that one scene. And... Oh, as as much as he's tried in other films, this is never, it's never worked as well as this did. 
No, I, I, w- I would agree with that also. I mean, um, mm. again, we'll we'll come to uh, <laughs> we'll come to how well he deals with emotional stuff in 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 films, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, th- th- there's no doubt about it. There's he absolutely deserved to get recognised um, with this film. Uh, you know, yeah. there's no doubt about it. Every, every, it's really hard to fault in any way, shape, or form. Um, everything about it works, um, and like you said, ev- even when you know the twist, the film still works. It's just yeah. that you don't have that surprise, you know. And it, and it is one of those films that, um, you, you, you know, I remember the reason I wanted to go and see it again right after I'd seen it the first time was because I hadn't seen the twist coming. And I was like, how did I miss that? And I went back and watched it. And of course you can watch it on a different level then because you can watch, like you said, all of those signs like with his wife and his interaction with all the other characters, et cetera. You you know, with that knowledge and you can see, you know, and and even the things like the fact that, you know, his his clothes don't change Change. particularly. There there is that one bit where it throws it slightly where he's got the, the uh college sweat top on yeah but i mean he was he was wearing that he was wearing that when he got shot so that's that's not a problem yeah exactly got shot so yeah i mean that whole thing because i mean again wardrobe a lot of characters don't change their wardrobe Mm -hmm. in a story and you again you don't you don't give it a second thought really it's just part of the movie going experience you see your main character dress in a very similar way or you know the same suit all the time and you know in reality that you probably have many more suits you know you wouldn't wear the one thing all the time but uh no it, it's it, it's very good i i, I say my one of the scenes i, I really like in it and it's just from it, it's when everything's working together as one you know so it's the scene where uh, Bruce Willis is waiting with Tony Collette for H- Haley Joel Osment to come home, and he's sitting there, and she's she tells him about you know um, she sort of says that little story about well I won the you know I won the lottery today and uh, I had <laughs> a big lunch in the park and and how was your day and he's like um, you know I was picked for for the sports and we we won we had a big touchdown all this kind of stuff and you know obviously both of them had, had a bad day it's such that's a that's a lovely little thing to get you into the scene and then uh she walks out and then it's between Haley Joel Osment and Bruce Willis and of course he won't go near him and of course at first you think well you know he's a bit wary because this is a psychiatrist and you know he he has that secret and he doesn't want to you know, he doesn't think he'll believe him. And then, of course, on the second viewing, it's because he's a ghost sitting there, you know, and he he, he is pretty, you know, he's, he's scared. Though I have to say, that is the, it's that weird thing where all the other ghosts, he, you know, he is frightened of, yet Bruce Willis, he's wary of, you know? There's never really a moment where you see Haley Joel Osment get scared of Bruce Willis, and it's it's it it, it kind of does break it a little bit. But I mean, as the film's so good, you don't mind it. But 
it's just something that came to mind. Well, but, yeah. I mean, you're but, allowed that one thing, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's yeah. that bit. With <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then when he tries to sort, of, Bruce Willis tries to break the ice by, oh, I, I can read your mind, and he sort of starts making these educated guesses. Uh, Haley Giles gets closer and closer, and the camera moves closer and closer. So the point where there's a close up the watch, and he gets it wrong about the watch. And then after that point, he gets up. he backs up because everything yeah. that Bruce Willis assumes uh, is wrong, and uh, it just works so well. I mean, it's just it's very reminiscent of the Michael Corleone scene in uh, the original Godfather when he talks about you know shooting the police officer. Yes, that's yes, very much. You know. Yeah, but yeah. It, 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 well, again, it stealing from all. the best. Well, <laughs> but yeah, yes. but I mean it. it, it well, if, if he's stealing from... It's not rest, stealing, it's, it's inspired it's, by... Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, though, I, I never felt it was stealing just because it works as a story point. Oh, it, it does, it just, yeah. It just works from the script. It's, well, the nothing, script, the script, but also... There's nothing in there that says homage. It's, it's not no, like... No, no. It, it, it's doing what um, the, the scene out The Exorcist when the detective is talking to the mum. Yeah. When he's getting closer and closer to the truth, the camera moves closer and closer. And then when he starts, you know, getting it wrong, mm-hmm. the camera starts backing off. Yeah. yeah but no, it's it, totally it, 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 motivated by the story. There, It doesn't have well, a whiff of homage in it at all. No, no. I mean, this is, this is what I would go back to when I was saying, you know, earlier in this podcast about how I actually do believe that he is actually a very good director. And, and you've hit the nail on the head there as well with that. I mean, he is, he is absolutely using the, the, you know, a very subtle camera movement, yeah, but it works in sync completely with the story and with the character. And it's and not the there, actor, it's yeah. not, it's, it's, yeah, it's not being showy. In fact, a lot, of, a lot of people who aren't filmmakers don't even notice that movement because it's not there to be showy and, no. and impressive. It's there to motivate the um, the emotion, you know, of, of of the scene, and and that's that's you know this is where he's a master because you know uh, ten other directors could have just stuck mm. the camera there on a set of sticks, you know, you know what I mean, and and film the scene, and and that would have been a choice as well. But I this say he's a master. this moves it along. I, that's, but, that's that's too much praise. I think he's a very, I think he's a very good director, or was a very good director. You know, and he <laughs> yes. still he has a lot to prove. And you know, it's again, this is a thing. You wonder how much of it is actually M Night, and how much of it was actually the team that was around him, because we we give a lot of uh, praise to the director. Yes, ultimately, he's the buck stops with him. But, you know, he may not have had the idea. He might have just agreed to the idea. So, you know, neither one of us was on set, so we don't know. But it, you know... A it, collaborative it, art form. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. Not, not, not necessarily an auteur work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, because the thing <laughs> is, the choices he's made in other films does make you wonder. You know, it's, You're right. Yes. It's, that, it's that thing where, you know... You, as I say, you you heap praise on the director for making a great piece of, of work, but then 
when latter work comes out and it's not so great and it's you know can be problematic you do wonder well how much of it was him and how much of it was the team around him so i i wouldn't i wouldn't lay you know a, a master on him i you know i think because what is he a master of he's the master of the twist yeah, well, we've you had know? those before, haven't we? So, yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, Hitchcock, I, I mean, it's cheesy to say is the master of suspense, but he was a master of storytelling. He yeah. knew how to set him up and knock him down. Well, I think it's like you said at the beginning, you know, about lightning in a bottle. Yes. And um, the sixth sense, I think, is a, is a you know... A, a prime example of a modern classic that um, that that you know achieves that because everything is working in sync. The script's really well developed and really good. Uh, the production values are great, and the performances um, are, are are up yeah. there. So between all of that, you know, and like you said, we got the the James Newton Howard score and. Yeah, yeah it, it it all works. It, it, it's it's everything working in sync as film should when when it's great. I know? mean, it's my favourite score of his as well. I think the score is very memorable and it works well and it it works well to you know get the emotion across. And also just sort of use of colour. I mean, use of red, uh, which is a very a very subtle thing. If you didn't know about it, you wouldn't really notice it. But those affected by death or uh, are touched by death. They wear yep. red, so like the um, the stepmom with the, uh, the the little girl who was poisoned is mm-hmm. like decked out completely in red, and um, uh, Haley Joel Osment's uh, tent is all red, and all that is is yeah. It's it's we didn't know about those. They're they're very interesting choices. They're very interesting choices, and yet. Yeah, there, if you didn't know about it, you would you it wouldn't affect the story. It it didn't matter that these people were wearing red, but it, it just works as a uh, a thematic color to be, to use in it. It does indeed. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I, as I said, I I can't really argue with you on any of this because I'm in one hundred percent agreement. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, Keith, what is your pick for Movie Heaven? Well, we're kind of going in chronological order here almost because um, I am uh, going with his next film, which was made in 2000, um, which is Unbreakable. Uh, Again, surrounded him by some of his team um, from the previous films, both, uh, you you know, behind the scenes and uh, on screen. So we've got, you know, Bruce Willis, back again, uh, playing a character called David Dunn. And um, yeah, I, I mean, this, this at the time it came out, um, I didn't enjoy it as much as Sixth Sense, but at the same time, I, I, I did thoroughly enjoy it. And, um, you know, it, for many of the same sort of reasons that, you know, you, you've stated with, with Sixth Sense, again, um, you know, use of use of color, you know, to 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 to, to feed into the themes, etc. And of course, you know, it's it's um, 
it's it's really weird when you think about this film now because obviously what we've had happen since this film yes. uh, is, is, you know, we're now living, we often talk, well, we've got whole podcasts about it where we're talking <laughs> about the sort of boom in, in, the, in the superhero um, franchise of movies and whatever. And, and at this point, I think this, this, this actually came out the same year that the Brian Singer's original X-Men um, yes. film came out. Yeah. So um, we weren't, you know, prior to that, we, we'd had, you know, sort of, Blade, which was sort of more of a sort of a cult, sort of underground um, hit in, in itself, and then prior to that had been, you know, the 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 the, the, the film that destroyed the superhero franchise with, you know, Batman and Robin a yes. few years earlier and whatever. So th this was this was not, you know, superheroes and whatever wasn't wasn't sort of the vogue thing. Um, like it is today uh, when this was made. And then, of course, you know, this takes a very different, uh, a very sort of toned down um, look on the whole sort of superhero origin story, um, uh, you know, mythology. Um, and, yeah, okay, we get that sort of bit at the beginning, which I must admit is jarring now, where you get the captions that give you various facts about comic books and um you know the origins of comic books and how they how many they sell in the u.s and 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 you know all of that sort of stuff which um which i know audiences watching it today kind of giggle a little bit at that but um yeah. but as i said you have to sort of put it in the context of the time when this film was actually made and um yeah I, you know i've gone back and and uh, watched this again recently, uh, not just for this podcast, but for the other obvious thing that we're gonna, we can't help but mention here about how the fact that this is now, <laughs> whether or not it was intended to be at the time, but it's actually part of a, you know, a, a trilogy, uh, a cinematic universe, whatever you wanna, whatever the sort of cool thing to call it nowadays is, but, mm -hmm. um, uh, and, 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 you know, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, which again, I said I agreed entirely with you on, um, was we talked about how M. Night had gone through, you know, it started off with, with this huge glory. Uh, his career had kind of, you know, through, through ego or whatever, but had gone, you know, um, down the toilet, as it were. And um, in more recent years, you, you know, there's been a return to form and, yes. um, you know, I was saying that I've got kind of my theories as to why I think that is. And, um, you know, I've often mentioned quite a lot when we talk about what I class as independent filmmakers. So, in other words, filmmakers that kind of not only direct, but write and produce their own material. And, mm. um, you know, which M. Knight is, although he has obviously had from a lot of his career, studio budgets and, and studio backing um, on a lot of stuff. But he was kind of operating. He'd got himself in a, in a sort of situation where, uh, because of his early success, he was able to sort of operate in that manner. And I often say that when you look at some of those, um, some of our heroes that were, 
uh, independent film directors early on. And, you know, we always cite like John Carpenter and James Cameron amongst many others in this, uh, you know, George Lucas, of course, is, um, you know, the part of the director's success when they're a writer-director is, is, is largely based on who will challenge them and, you, you know, who their producing partner is at the time. And, you know, in the case of um, M. Night here, with his last few films, uh, he has got into partnership with, again, somebody we talk a lot about on this podcast is um, Jason Blum and Blumhouse. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is actually quite a good combination, um, simply because Blumhouse, uh, obviously, you know, they're quite well known for the sort of horror thriller thing, although they are branching out into, you know, other genres and, um, you know, even even TV series, etc. Because recently they did um, Sharp Objects for, for HBO. But, um, uh, you know, he his, his model is usually he lets the filmmaker have the creative control um, of the project, but they have a budget of five million um, which, you know, is, is considered, uh, you know, in, in, in US terms and whatever, a very low budget. And, and they, they absolutely have to adhere to that budget and work within that budget. Uh, but at the, if they do so, he doesn't interfere with their um, artistic vision. And, you know, there, there have been more hits than fails for Blumhouse, I would say. But, you know, the, 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 there's been a mixed bag in there. But, um, you know, the thing that M. Night has done that's very smart is, you know, he, d he did a couple of films with him to sort of prove himself. And then, obviously, he's taken the Blumhouse budget and also literally put his money where his mouth is and put his own money into um, his last film, Glass, you know, to, to sort of round off this, this unbreakable story, uh, this unbreakable trilogy. And... Um, you know, I think it's worked very well. That the visits was was okay. I know you don't like found footage movies. I'm not sure whether you saw it. It was it was okay. It wasn't wasn't brilliant. Um, well, however, if, if you let me, I'll uh, oh sorry, I'll get, in, I'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, the thing is, um, I mean, me and M Night passed parted ways quite a while back. <laughs> and I will get more before Lady in the Water. Before yes. Lady in the Water, <laughs> and so when his name came up on a film, I wasn't interested. So I'm here one night, um, looking through Netflix, and Split is on there, and I'd heard good things, but for me, it's an M Night Shyamalan film, and I was like, oh god, I don't want, don't want to see this. And Antonia said to me, this is a really good film. You should watch it. I said, okay, I'll give it a go. I really enjoyed it. And I was very surprised. And I was kind of waiting for him to fuck up. I was waiting <laughs> for that moment for him to fuck up. And he didn't. It was really good. And um, I have to say, um, the actor in it, whose name escapes James, me. James McAvoy. James McAvoy. James McAvoy is excellent in it. And I agree. we both went to see Glass recently. 
and uh, again we enjoyed that and again it was mostly down to uh, to McAvoy's performance I, I mean it's funny it's called Glass and Samuel Jackson really doesn't have much screen time in it <laughs> that's true um, I have a question for you though just yeah. going back to Split real quick mm -hmm. did you before you saw that did you know the twist stroke connection of that film yes um, i did oh yes, you I did you knew yes. about that because yeah, again yeah, i didn't again, and again I, was... I you know because i came to it late on this one right I literally only you know i've only watched it this year right right you know and it's um but yes i had heard through uh you know other sources that's uh, a shame twist. Well, yeah. it's again. It's it's harder to keep these things quiet now. I mean, in the world we live in, yes, in indeed, YouTube and the internet, yeah. because you know, as it's like if you don't want to know what happens in the latest episode of Game of Thrones, you literally have to turn off the internet <laughs> because there are many people out there ready to tell you what's going to happen. I know we're we're awful for spoiling things. <laughs> but, we do uh, we do give alerts before, we do give don't alerts. we? But I mean, it's things, it's but... human nature. If it's there and you know they're willing to tell you, you want to know. Yeah. And you know, it's sometimes it's like, well, you know, it might be easier just somebody telling me than actually going and watching the thing. So yeah. Oh, I have to say, I mean, when I I, I did go and see Split because. Mm -hmm. I like James McAvoy as an actor um, and I wasn't, you know, even though, okay, I, I admit I didn't see Last Airbender or After Earth, but mm -hmm. because, because I did see The Visit, which it was actually more because of Blumhouse than um, M. Night, if I'm honest. Um, okay. And I thought it was okay. I just thought it was okay. But then I watched, I did go and see, to see Split at the cinema and of course, you know, again, had no idea. I was, I was treating this as completely its own thing. And, you know, very impressed with it, very impressed with McAvoy's performance. Um, and thinking to myself, oh yeah, this is a real sort of return to form for, um, for M. Night here, I'm liking this. And then of course you get to the end and it was quite funny because I saw it in the cinema and it was, it was that old thing where Half the audience you thought it was awesome, and the other half were absolutely, totally confused. Because I think, because I, I, I think if 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 this series of films or trilogy or whatever you want to call it, if it suffers from anything, I think it suffers from the fact that there's been too much time between Unbreakable and Split and Glass. Yeah, right. you know, there was too much of a gap there. And I think that, you know, hurts it. Is is right, is, okay. is that gap? If I, you know, I enjoy yeah. the I enjoy all three films, and I think they're great, and I think it works. And I and I really like the continuity in them. You know, in the fact that he's managed to get all the same actors. Uh, even the actor that played the the kid in Unbreakable is the same actor playing the adult yes. version and and stuff, which is brilliant. I love you know I love continuity you and do. all of that sort of stuff. But um, I do think that the, the 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 one bit you know we say every film you sort of let let it have one thing the, the one slight leap with all this is the fact that you know we're supposed to buy that you know 20 well 19 years or whatever has gone by and I do think you know I, I think it would have worked better if the films had 
like most sequels, <laughs> you know, had come out within sort of three or four years of each other rather than, you know, this massive um, gap between the first and second film. But Maybe, uh, but I mean, the, the problem is they, if, if that had been the case and the way, the way, the, the path of M. Night's treachery, as we saw in these other films, Split would have been not very good. And <laughs> yeah, well, true. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you know, um, he, he was a prior. You know, a lot of studios didn't want to touch him because of, you know, because his films didn't make money. It's it's this weird thing where they have no problems with, you know, putting your putting the, yourself in the main role as long as the film makes money. If you lose money, you know, lots of money, then it's yeah, you you're, you know, you're 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 on the road of heading out. So, you know, he was literally given a second chance, and you know, I think he's, I think he's gotten a a, a bit humbler. I mean. Mm. Well, this is why I think Blum yeah. deserves a lot of credit. Yes. I really do because, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that uh, even though there's there's no doubt about the fact this is totally a, a, an M Night Shyamalan film, um, but uh, you, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for for Jason Blum, and yeah. uh, you know, well, yeah, we need given, to salute him for that for sure. Given <laughs> given the chance with the visit, I mean, yeah. I've still not watched it and. You know, <laughs> just because of the fan footage. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the visit is not great. Split, split is a big split and glass are a big um, uh, leap, leap up in quality, um, yeah. definitely. Uh, yeah. But you know, obviously, uh, the visit was where that that particular relationship, uh, that that writer director producer relationship started, and um, you, you, you know, it, it it's uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, obviously, obviously, of course, the movie Heaven I'm talking about here is actually unbreakable, you know, the first film. But um, as as watching all three of those back to back, I do actually feel that it that it works and it does have a beginning, middle and end. And I like the way that he managed to sort of merge the characters from 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 the two previous films into that third film. Oh, yeah. um, I, I, I really, and I really like the kind of different look that it takes on, on um, you, you know, the, 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 the superhero origin story. And uh, I like the fact that in, the, in Glass, you know, they actually play with the, the notion that, you know, is, is, is this real or is it, uh, uh, you know, all in their head, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I must admit, um, out of the three films, um, I would say Split is my favourite. I think that one's the best out of the three. But I will say about Glass is it's unfortunate that, you know, that kind of played into the twist. I we we won't spoil it. I was going to say you? we could really spoil glass, glass but I yeah. suppose we better not. No, let's no, let's stick with yeah. un, we'll just stick with unbreakable. Yeah, and and but I mean, we, I, I just but I just want to say it's kind of like um, I think this is kind of like his problem is that if it if he just let things play out and didn't have to incorporate a twist, <laughs> you know, yes. just just let them play out, let the story play out, and you know. 
I think we'll get more into this when we get into hell. Yes. But um, I have to ask you, um, what did you think of the performance of the son in this, the uh, Spencer Treat Clark? What, what, in Unbreakable or in Glass? In, in Unbreakable. In Unbreakable, it's, okay, I think he had a bit of a, a, a tough job because I don't actually think his performance is bad at all. However, he is following in the footsteps of what Haley Joel Osmond did in the previous film, which was obviously a superb performance. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've never had a problem with him, but I have heard people criticize um, yeah, you're going to hear me criticise. Oh, go well, go yeah. for it, absolutely. Well, right. this the thing is, the same year we had Gladiator, mm-hmm. where he was playing a similar role, where he was playing the son of, uh, of of one of the main characters. He was great in that. He was a little boy. He was having fun, you know. And when it needed to be serious or when his life was being threatened, worked great. In this film, my problem with him was he's close to tears all the fucking time. Oh my god, I've never <laughs> seen such a mopey kid in my whole life. Even when he finds out that his dad's, you know, he's, you know, when Bruce Willis gives him the nod over the breakfast table, he's fucking crying. And I was like, I, when I saw he was going to be in Glass, I was like, oh god, I hope he's not crying in this. And you know. To, to to the benefit of him and uh, and M Knight, because that's a choice by M Knight to have this constantly crying kid. Um, you know he was a lot better. You know mm. he's you know he, he he worked really well in Glass. I mean yes, I understand. But the scene with the I, gun I, I, was really good in, in oh, Unbreakable. I mean, Did you not think? I thought that was a really it, powerful scene. It was, but it was fucking crying throughout the whole thing. It's just do it, it. Kids do cry, you know. I know kids do cry, but this the thing was his character had bloody tears streaming down his face all the time, and it was such a bad. Ah, oh, that's what's so annoying because I think it's also the tone. Unbreakable is very dour. Oh, it's a bleak film, absolutely, yes. Very dour. I mean, yeah. yes, I know they're going for this realistic portrayal of superheroes, what what they would be like if they were real. And um, that's fine. But, I mean, the, the colour palette was blue. It was, you know, blue or grey. And it was just, ah, it just was... So uh, well, that, no. well. Again, I think yeah. I think that was you know that was very intentional, and it was to sort of it, it move was, away from it's... the primary colours that are normally associated with superheroes. Yeah, but I mean, right? it's just I, it was just the the tone of it. Yeah, because I mean, the, the, the thing about in terms, in terms of the photography, though. Yeah, I, the photography is great, but I just want to say, in ter- I mean, the the thing with uh, Sixth Sense was it had more life to it. I mean, it wasn't just about Haley Joe Osmond, you know, seeing ghosts. I mean, you saw that hit the relationship between him and his mother. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the fact that his mother was doing so much to, you know, try and help it bring his spirits up. I mean, that scene where he, she's pushing him in the uh, shopping cart 
and it's you know and she starts pretending it's a roller coaster and he's got his hands up in the air i mean nothing's said it's just there it's such a joyous scene there's mm-hmm. nothing like that in unbreakable no no i, I, I i'm not going to argue yeah. with you that that yeah. definitely um uh, you know, Six Sense is a more nuanced film um, in many ways. You know, it's it's this this, this even though it's a good follow-up film, um, it isn't as good as Six Sense. No way. Mm. Uh, yeah. So you know, I, I I understand what you're saying. Well, I, I have to say that 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 is his whole filmography. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, well. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, I mean, oh man, I I, I to to have the you know have such a, a big film early on in your career and having to try and follow that up is such a hard task and not many other filmmakers have been able to do it and unfortunately M. Night wasn't able to to reach that height again. No. As much as we enjoy Unbreakable and Split and Glass. I mean I mean Unbreakable one of the one of the things I mean you know you mm. talked about um you know uh that particular scene in, in um, uh, Sixth Sense where, you know, he uses the camera very well. Um, I also think that the, the, the shot in this film where he's Bruce Willis's character, David Dunn, is being told that, you know, uh, about the train wreck and that he survived. Mm-hmm. And you see that he says there were only two survivors. And as the camera's pulling back, you see the, uh, the other survivor on the table yeah. on the operating table in his last moments and you see him expire as as the camera's moving back, you know, without cutting. I mean, you, you know, that that sort of thing is, is great. I mean, that's yeah. really nicely done. Um, yeah. uh, you know, so I, I always sort of appreciate those type of things. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's an enjoyable film and, and an enjoyable series of films now. Um, and yeah, I, I really like, I do really like these. Um, the one thing, if you like, <laughs> if I have to criticize this, this, um, this series of films, the, the thing that, oh, in Split, I found it so cringeworthy and they kind of try and tie it in and tie it up in, in glass. And this isn't really a spoiler, but um, obviously, again, when, when, when he made Unbreakable, M. Knight had to put himself in it, but oh, yes. he only put himself in it as the, uh, you know, the guy at the, um, uh, the, the suspicious looking character at the football <laughs> game oh, that, right. uh, yeah. that, that, that Bruce Willis, um, y- y- you know, talks to. And then, of course, in Split, um, there's a really cringeworthy bit where he's playing like uh, he's, he's looking at the... Um, camera footage uh, and and it, it, oh, it's 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 the one really cringeworthy scene because he's so awful in it and then i love it in glass they try and tie it that that was the same character and yeah. he's like oh yes uh, i used to you know i've grown up but i've you know i've got in a better crowd but years ago i was um you know i was a bit of a uh, uh, you know, yeah. at the, you know, I used to do some bad stuff and whatever, and I did, I did kind of chuckle at that. You know, the way he tried to, uh, yeah, it was, make it, it join was, up. It was, yeah, that, and I think he was also trying to sort of say, yeah, also, you know, I, I've done some bad acting jobs. Yes, yes. Myself in the film. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, um, I must admit, those two cameos, I kind of shrugged off. It was, yeah. 
was just like, yeah, hurry up, get on with it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's so weird, isn't it? Because, I mean, directors' cameos, they're, they're, they are a funny thing because the amount of films I've worked on, shorts and low-budget stuff, where uh, the director puts himself into the film for a cameo and it's that weird thing it's like you, you know why it worked for Hitchcock because everybody knew who Hitchcock was so it was fun to try and spot him in the film and he always was doing something different and cheeky and you know and it was you know it never sort of distracted from the, the rest of the film so yeah, M Knight's. Uh, I I can't really cameo. say anything here. I know, <laughs> but uh, well, it's talk, it's talking of cameos, it's, it's, though, it's, I, I really like Spielberg's one in Gremlins. There you yeah. go. <laughs> I, I like his cameo in uh, the Blues Brothers. Well, yes, absolutely. But that's different. That's other directors putting other directors into their films. For that's cameos. right. Who are also known. Who yes, are I, also I take known, your yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's fine, you know. If 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 a director wants to do a cameo in a film, make it short, make it sweet, you know. Stallone in Staying Alive. Oh God! <laughs> well, that's just an awful film, anyway. But yeah, that that cameo is just awful because they bump into each other. And exactly. Stallone, Stallone turns round in his Afghan, doesn't he? And yes. Looks at him if he's going to deck him. It's just like, oh fuck off, really. <laughs> But then that was somebody who, you know, e- whose ego was growing at the time. Oh, yeah. yes, well. But that is, as you would say, Keith, another podcast. <laughs> it is indeed. It is, yes. yeah. Um, <laughs> Could be a long one as well. That. <laughs> yes. So um, I have to ask you, what did you think of the twist in this one, in Unbreakable? Um. Well, it, it was, it, okay, this was obviously... Because this was only the second time, it wasn't. It hadn't yet become a trope that you were there, kind of like expecting. So, um, but I mean, it's it's of course nowhere near as clever. And mm-hmm. um, but but yeah, I, I I be honest, I don't have an issue with it. I think it's it, uh, you know, as, as I said, I prefer the I prefer the one in this film and in Split than what we're not going to spoil in glass. Glass, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It is, it, with the one in glass, without telling you what it is, it did feel like it was there just so that there would be a twist. And it's I know. it's like, oh, man. I do seriously. like the film, though. I do like Yeah, it, I enjoyed yeah. the film as well. And it's, yeah. you know, the, the, the I thought you were going to say, you see, I was, I was worried you were going to, well, I wondered before we did this, whether you were going to actually, when I saw Glass, I thought Simon's either going to like this or absolutely hate it, and I wasn't <laughs> sure which side you'd sit on. So it's 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 interesting. I'm I'm glad I, I I'm glad you like it. it. I I, yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it, it does suffer from like it being the third part in a trilogy and yes, not quite living up to the the rest of it. And yeah, the the third film's always a, a, a tough act to pull off. It is. It's usually the weakest one in most trilogies. So um, it is, as yeah. as as, as we discussed it, a lot. Yes. Well, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it was all right. I you know I enjoyed it, and uh, you know I I doubt if I'll I probably watch it again at some point if it's on TV or something. But I'm not going to go out my way to 
to uh, to watch it again. Split, I would. Yeah. Uh, but um, Glass, not really. But yeah, it you know, um, again with you, like yourself with Unbreakable, it was like, yeah, the twist was nice. Uh, <laughs> you know, again, it wasn't so earth shat- shattering, and but you know, it made sense in the confines of that story. I mean. That was the the one thing that was kind of missing from the story was well where's the villain who's the villain of this and we found out the end and it's you know it's um, it, it worked in that sense it worked in that sense we found out who the the villain was and uh, yeah um, yeah but I mean I think for what it was doing and. What it set out to do I thought it worked well I mean I enjoyed most of it I could do with less crying from the kids but uh, <laughs> apart from that no it's good and you know everybody was good but it was kind of like the start of the the kind of M. Night school of acting where everything was kind of like not the sort of life taken out of it that thing that Kubrick was always accused of you know because he did so many takes that he would like take the the spontaneity out of performances, mm-hmm. but uh, I disagree. I mean, it's just uh, the performances became very one note, always sort of kind of dour, or you know, there's no ups or downs. There's just this always at one level. You know, the performances in these films. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So moving on. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> moving to the the movie hells now god what a, what a selection to pick from eh so many to pick from uh well uh, as i said two of them i haven't even seen, seen so i yeah. couldn't i i yeah. was restricted as to what i could pick so yes <laughs> well the, the the film that i picked is it was the point where i fell out with it that that <laughs> for me it was like i I wasn't interested anymore. Yeah. And um, that film is The Village. So, um, I'll rewind it a bit. When Signs came out, uh, I remember the advertising for it and I remember them pushing the whole, the you know, the next Steven Spielberg. And that kind of grated me. I was like, he's only made two films that I've seen I know he's made more films, but uh, is you know I only know him for two films, and already they're saying he's the next Steven Spielberg, and straight away that kind of like got me off, you know I I, I didn't want to I didn't go and see Science at the cinema. was it was it Green Eyed Monster was it No, not at all. It's just you know when somebody says oh this is the greatest person in the whole wide world, you <laughs> then suddenly go uh, for me. I don't, you know, it, it takes more than like a slogan. It's like, you know, those film posters where they have all the reviews on it. This is the best film ever made. Yeah. You know, especially back in the day where even a bad review could give a good, you know, line on a poster. This is the best thing. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably the whole sentence was, you know, 
this is the best piece of shit I've ever seen. You know, it, it is such a crazy time. Uh, if a poster was full of, like, you know, lines from reviews, I, I, that for me was a signal of, of crapness, really. Uh, it really <laughs> turned me off. So, you know, them saying it was the next uh, Steven Spielberg was just like, okay, I, 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 he hasn't proved that to me. He's He's made two good films. Well, he's made one excellent film, one good film. Uh, you know, we're, we're not in Steven Spielberg territory just yet. But, so you're you saying know, you didn't see signs because of this poster? Um, it wasn't a poster, it was the advertising. Right. Um, and so I didn't see it at the cinema. I saw it on video or on DVD. Oh, right. And okay. for the most part, I, I, I've, is that weird thing where the, the scares in it worked quite well? I mean... The, the bits where you see the aliens, like on the news footage, and they sort of just walk... When they, when the alien just sort of... That home video where you see it walking the, that past the alley, oh, get me shivers. But the twist was so stupid. Yeah. So <laughs> stupid. And this was the beginning of, well, we got to come up with a twist. What's it going to be? Well... God killed your mother so that she could pass on a message about how to defeat the aliens. <laughs> Let's not get into a, a bit, you know, aliens decide to invade the earth and yet, uh, are, you know, water is their enemy. So that they attack a planet that's mostly covered in water. What the fuck were they thinking? You know, it's a stupid <laughs> stuff like that. Oh, absolutely stupid. And, we got more of the same tone we got in Unbreakable. So we got Mel Gibson this time, and he was very much, you know, this uh, down and, you know, just, it's just one note all the time. And we also got uh, Whacking Phoenix in it as well, and he was very much the same. And so when it came to The Village, um, having sort of been really annoyed by... Uh, signs i was like um yeah okay i'm really not interested in and and then they there was this promo it was like an hour-long promotion i think may have been on fx or some other like sky channel because i think at the time uh, my parents just got sky and it was uh this camera crew who had gone to film the making of the village. And it was so mysterious. And weird things kept happening. Especially round M night. I couldn't watch this piece of shit. It was so hyperbolic. It was ridiculous. They were trying to make out that M night was some, you know, God's gift to filmmaking. He was, you know, he was blessed with you know, directing the skills that were beyond this earth. You know, the mysterious things that were happening around him. Our camera equipment kept breaking down. It was like M. Night was a fucking uh, episode of Ghost Adventures. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? So uh, that really turned me against the film. And then I saw it and I was like, oh, this is fucking pathetic. This is so pathetic. So, for you, those who don't know what the film is about, it's about this village set in, I guess, what, the 18th century? 
They're allegedly all, yeah uh, well yeah <laughs> we'll get into that um <laughs> and um they are you know they are surrounded by forests and within this forest are creatures that um the elders of this village have made a truce with they won't go into their territory and they won't come into the village but then things change and uh somebody is attacked and uh it's decided that uh that one of the girls will venture through the forest through these you know the 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 main of these beasts uh to get to the town so to get medicine and bring it back to help this uh poor unfortunate soul and um so if that was just the film I think it would work rather well. It was just played straight. But this is an M. Night Shyamalan film. <laughs> and at the end of the day, he never plays anything straight. So, we're all sitting there thinking, what could the twist be? What could the twist be? We know there's going to be a twist. What could the twist be? And I have to say, it was fucking bonkers. So, if you don't know what the twist is, well, I'm going to ruin it for you. Mm, spoiler alert here. Spoiler although, alert. Although how anybody couldn't see this coming is beyond me because I absolutely saw it coming. But I mean, there yeah. you go. <laughs> well, it was very much signposted. Well, okay, there's actually two twists in this. And um, the the thing that why the twist in Sixth Sense worked very well is is that kind of magic trick that he does in the you know that Bruce Willis does with the the kid in the film with the penny. It's like it's here, it's here, it's here. Well, I actually was actually in my hand all the time. You know, it, it's there on display, but because you're caught up with the other story, you know, you don't notice it. But in the village. The twist is given away very early and it's a kind of, he's trying a sleight of hand where it's like, well, I'll give the twist away early. So you think, oh, I've seen the twist. But then you find out that there's another twist. So the first twist is there aren't any creatures in the forest. They're actually the elders dressed up to scare the, the rest of the villagers from not leaving. And you go, okay, that could be not kind of interesting, but it's never played out very well. The the elders don't seem to be, they don't seem to have their hearts in it, really. You know, they, they're not really into this playing the creatures very well. To the point where they would try and stop anybody going to the forest, you know. It, and without making my next point, I have to give away the other twist. The other twist is, it's not the 18th century it's the 21st century. Ah, the main elder is the son of a, a, a billionaire and he's a, he's a history teacher and he comes up with the idea of, well, why don't we create this preserve and we lock ourselves away from the real world? Which, which was the thing that I thought was blatantly obvious before it even oh, yeah. got there. I was like, you know. Yes, because, so... yeah. Yeah. And then they have a rubbish explanation. I really hate the line. In fact, I think I think um, 
M. Night, because again, we, we, we see him, although oh, mainly yeah. from behind yes. or in reflection. Yes, you do. But um, he comes up with this crap line, because of course, the first thing any audience that you know sees this, yes. you think to yourself, well, hold on a second. In today's world, in, in the modern world, how can even if these people are on you know, this, this, this nature reserve, this wildlife reserve or whatever in the middle of nowhere, how the hell, you know, do, do, do they not get disturbed by aircraft and, you know, all of this sort of thing? There's that crap line about the guy was such a millionaire that he managed to get, what is it, the air traffic control yeah. or something to... To oh, bypass the, it or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, how fucking shit is that? I mean, if you're gonna it's have, like a no-fly zone. Exactly. Yeah. If you're gonna have a twist ending, at least, you know, have a decent twist ending. Not, not, uh, you know, not that that crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the tension in this film is non-existent. I mean, it, it's oh. The acting in it is awful. Again, it's very stilted. It's very... There's no life to it. Um, the elders... You know, you, you've got some really good actors there. You know, you've got... Um, you know, you've got Scorny Weaver. You've got um, William Hurt. Um, you know, you got Brendan Gleeson. I mean, you know, really good actors. And then, you know, for the younger villagers, you've got uh, Working Phoenix. Uh, <laughs> that's it, really. I mean, yeah, there's some early performances from the, the likes of um, Jesse Eisenberg and um, Michael Pitt. Yeah. And of course, you've got Sigourney in there. And, and, and everybody's go to mother, Judy Greer. Yeah. You know? If you needed somebody to play a mother in a film, Judy Greer's your lady. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Halloween. I'm looking at you, Jurassic World. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, the other uh, performances are, are bloody awful. Um, <laughs> Adrian, uh, Oscar winner, Adrian Brody. <laughs> oh, we, God. I have to say, I want to I, I use a, a line from... Uh, Tropic f- Thunder, but I can't because it's too un PC. <laughs> oh, uh, you mean he went full retard? Yeah. Oh, you went there. Okay. I went there, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I didn't buy him as the villain. It's, it's just not very well done at all. And uh, and then when he. So you got Bryce <laughs> Dallas Howard playing a blind girl who can clearly see. Yeah. I mean, she looks people directly in the face. That, that whoever was coaching her on on being blind um, didn't do a very good job. She, yeah, her, her, you know, she could have taken lessons from Al Pacino on the blind acting. Really, hoorah! <laughs> she, yeah, uh, I never bought her being blind for a second. And and of course, so she is the one. So. Uh, working Phoenix, you know, he's pretty good in it. You know, he's he's playing somebody who's hiding his feelings for uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's character. And um, you get this whole sort of melodrama because um, uh, Judy Greer's character has asked him to, to marry her and he's said no and she's in tears. Oh, And of course, she, he really has, you know, 
eyes for uh, for Ivy is the character's name, and um, uh, you know it's kind of forced. And then of course Aiden Brody, out of a fit of jealousy, stabs Woking Phoenix. I mean, you know, stabs him several times in the stomach. I mean, the first I must admit, I'm watching it recently. I had to rewind the scene because I didn't quite see what he did. You know, even mm. though, even though it was a big close up on the knife in his stomach, it, uh, I, I tuned out. <laughs> you know, don't, I had no interest. I tuned yeah. out. I hadn't seen. I saw this film at the cinema when it came out, and. Uh, you know, I saw the twist before it happened and I thought it was, you know, really a lame twist, particularly with that stupid explanation about, you know, the, the, the air traffic and everything, as yes. I've already said. And, um, uh, you know, I never bothered to watch it again because I, I really had no interest in it. And uh, when, in fact, one of the things that's kind of annoying for the homework part of this, is I don't know whether you found this, um, I couldn't find any of M. Knight's films anywhere. They weren't on any streaming. They weren't on Sky. Mm. They weren't on Amazon. They weren't on um, uh, Netflix. You know, they were, and, and I, I couldn't find it. So I went to our good old friends at CEX and managed to get um, this film for 50p. And yeah. uh, I'm so glad it wasn't any more than that. And um, <laughs> yeah. and I'll be honest, it took me it took me three goes to get through it. I literally fell asleep um, watching it. Uh, I, I just found it really really hard work to watch. You know, which is which is in stark contrast to the you know the films of his that we've just talked about, which I'm yeah. quite happy to to sit and watch and never really get bored, even even when I know the twists and whatever. But this one. Um, yeah, I, I I found it very difficult to get through. I have to say, so not very good. Yeah, yeah. I'm it's... I'm in agreement with you again. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just oh, I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, it could have been an if it the creatures had been real, I think it would have probably have been a, a lot more interesting. Because. The thing is, it's just, so they send out, you know, the blind girl to go and go through the woods to get the medicine, to go to town. You know, out of everybody, you know, in the whole village, you, you send the blind girl. And she does quite successfully, you know, she breaks a stick and she still is able to, to find her way to the path and everything. And there's this, yeah, this whole scene where we see one of the creatures. And at this point, we know already, it's been told to us, shown to us, that these creatures aren't real and they're, they're, their one is. <laughs> and we know for the life of us, it's it's not real. We know it's somebody else in it. And then, of course, the twist is it's actually Adrian Brody. He's, he's found his parents' disguise and he's gone out in the woods in this and decides to attack the woman he loves. Yeah. Yeah. After killing a load of animals to start with and all that yes. stuff to again yeah. arouse this um, panic amongst the, the villagers, um, you know, about this creature and stuff. But, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's yeah. just kind of... Um, you just don't care. 
Mm. That's, that's, that's the problem. This, for a, a thriller like this to work, you have to care for your characters. And you just really don't care. I mean, these poor people, they they decided to to do this way of life because all of them had, had faced tragedy. You know, they had, you know, had lost loved ones through... Yeah, the older crimes. generation. Yeah. yeah, the older yeah. of the generation. Yeah. And they decided to, to, you know, to save their children from this, even though um, they put them into a situation that, there's no medicines and you know they die from natural causes or natural illnesses and stuff like that i mean poor brendan gleason i mean he's you know the first thing we see him is burying a child yeah well the 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 other thing that i kind of noted when i watched this as well is Mm -hmm. all of the things that we've you know most obvious being the twist, but all of the things that we were saying that um, uh, M. Night had done so well in those mm-hmm. previous films yeah. just didn't work in this. Another prime example is the use of the colour, you know, like the colour red and whatever. Yes. In this, yeah. it felt so forced and so in your face that it didn't really... You know, it, yeah. it wasn't sort of subtly symbolic. It was just kind of standout annoying. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you it's know. that whole thing, red being the bad colour. And it's just like, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, it didn't make sense that these creatures would go around painting red on the doors. You know, they're, it's just, it, didn't make any, it didn't make any sense. And of course, they all had these boxes. And when you saw the box, it... They didn't look 18th century at all. And that yeah. was a big indication that, you know, something was up. Oh, big time. And and then yeah. the other the other thing this film didn't do at all well as well was there was no suspense or tension. You know, yeah. bef- before we get the the first crappy reveal about the fact that there is no monster, um, in the scenes you know where we're with the we're with the villagers or with the young villagers you know and yeah. and, th- and think that there there is this creature um i didn't i didn't really even even that thing where she's blind and she stood at the door and it's coming oh, and yeah. all this i did i really didn't feel it at all i was like yeah. nah you know well, I'm, there's I'm no not... threat yeah i mean this is the thing i mean apart from a few scenes where I mean, there's that whole thing where you had uh, Jesse Eisenberg standing with his back <laughs> to the woods and, like, you know, seeing how long he could stay there for. The problem was the <laughs> Ding the, dong, the bells are ringing. Ding exactly. dong. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, see, the thing is, with it, it's, it's, it didn't set up the threat very well. No. I mean, you take Jaws. The first thing we see Jaws do is kill a person. So we know the threat is real. Yes. We don't see any of that. So they skinned an animal. We 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 don't know who did that. We, you know, we're already, you know, on high alert for twists. So we, you know, straight away you're thinking, well, mate, it's probably one of the villagers. Yeah. It probably turns out it's one of the villagers doing all this. But why? You know, you have to you have to present the threat straight away. You got to show. What the circumstance, you know, what the, uh, if you go into the woods, what the results are going to be, mm-hmm. you know, what are these creatures going to do? And that's why I think 
why it didn't work was the fact that you know we knew it was going to be a twist we knew that I mean, the advertising was like, oh, it's all tension. Oh, look at it. It's all creepy. Look at these creatures. You know, there's these creatures and we have this truth with the woods and, you know. But there was nothing in there to, you know, to sort of... I think of a film that came out sort of, you know, years before it. You know, um, Sleepy Hollow. Well, that worked. Yeah, That works very well. It's very yeah. similar. Yeah, You know, there's a threat to a village. But there's nobody there who's there to sort of sort it out. That's the thing. They're all you just these elders going. It's that weird thing. Imagine Jaws without uh, um, Chief Brody in it. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> that's what it would be like. That's what the village would be like. It would just be the mayor of uh, Am- Amityville going, you know, oh, everything's fine. Don't worry. Go swimming. Yeah. <laughs> that's what the village was like yeah, that's quite it's a like, good analogy yeah, yeah, don't, actually yeah, don't, yeah. Don't, don't worry about it it's fine just you know yeah. just don't go into the woods but everything else is fine so yeah it's just it's a mess it's just a boring film and, yeah no I agree uh, I mean this is this yeah. is this is why like we said at the beginning that you know mm. we can talk quite a lot about this guy because this this, this is the thing um, it, it is He's had an interesting career in in mm. so much as there hasn't been a consistency. There has been no. a, you know, extremes in, at both ends of the movie heaven, movie hell spectrum. You know, yeah. literally, yeah. not not like well, you know, quite often with me, you know, I get I get some of the listeners that we already know um, sort of joke that they say with me. It's kind of like movie heaven movie well not too bad but not great kind of thing you know but but in in this case if 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 ever there is an example of a director that fits our podcast model (laughs) it really is this guy isn't it because yeah you you know he has had both extremes of you know extremely good movies and uh you know extremely bad ones and yeah and 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 a a lot of the problem comes from him i mean it's just uh, this ego and it's ego that's been fueled by the studios i mean it's not been self-fueled it's you know they have put him up on a pedestal as i said they they were selling him as the next steven spielberg that is really high praise. And, mm. you know, it, it takes a very strong-willed person to not believe the hype, you know, if that's being what's said about you all the time. And, you know, I think he's played up that kind of, I'm a mysterious character, you know. My films are mysterious. I I have a bigger message to say, but they're, you know, I'm mysterious. And it's just like, no, mate, you're just full of shit. Because <laughs> that's what your film's... Oh, they were, you know. You 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 made a you made a great film, and then you made a good film, and then you, instead of going right, I'm going to try something else. It's like how can I make a better film than Sixth Sense? Yeah, it it does feel like every film afterwards to a certain point was all about how can I make a better film than Sixth Sense? What can how can I make a bigger more impactful twist yeah and that's not storytelling it was it was one trip pony and he he did yeah. become his own trope literally yeah yeah so it's yeah i mean uh you know the after earth 
it's so comical because the twist is its earth. It's like, well, wait a minute, that's the fucking title. <laughs> you know, of course we know it's earth. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. So there's I, even I, I, there's, there's, there's even a twist in that. I, I, I wonder whether that was his, like... Um, paycheck movie but that but was no. his paycheck movie that oh, was okay. that was that was him man for hire it's like um i believe i saw uh the last airbender was as well right i don't think that was something that he originally wanted to do it was something that he was approached to do but yeah you know i think well since um i think um lady in the water was kind of like the oh no 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 no, the happening. Oh, the happening mm-hmm. uh, was the one before he kind of. It looked like he was going to be a, a director for hire, and then before he sort of made his comeback. Indeed. But uh, yeah, it's um, it it's sort of you know a, a film of his own, own making, really, isn't it? Uh, it's mm. yeah. I, I I don't know why he thought this was a great idea because it just wasn't. No, it was very it was very hard to get through. I have to oh, say. Oh God, yeah. Um, very hard but you know, there, there are there are people out there that do like the village. Uh, I, I've 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 heard defenders of the village before, so I'm like, okay, well, fine. You know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But uh, but I'm with you on this one. I I, I thought it, I actually thought it was quite awful, and I realised why I hadn't sort of revisited it. <laughs> yeah. In a long time. Yeah. And uh, I'll probably never visit it again. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I must admit, it's probably not going to... It's going to end up back at CEX, I feel. <laughs> yeah, you won't get much for it, mate. No, I'll get like 5p for it. Yeah. You might I might put it, it to a charity. charity shop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, they can add it to the rest of the collection. Mm. <laughs> Next to their uh, Fifty Shades of Grey books they have <laughs> all stocked up. Uh... Wow. Right, so Keith, what is your pick for movie hell? Well, <laughs> just when I thought, having watched The Village, that ah, oh, you know, Simon's uh, taken the the absolute movie hell, and it can't get any worse. Um, I, I was wrong because <laughs> I, I, yes. I saw this at the cinema. It's a film with what I call an oxymoron of a title. And it is from 2008, and it's, you've already mentioned it. It's called The Happening, which uh, doesn't really, in, 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 in my, my eyes. Um, <laughs> I, I remember. Oh, well, I, I had another title for it The Crappening. <laughs> the Crappening, there you go. Yeah. Now, I, I, saw this, I saw this when it came out at the cinema um, and was, you, you know, severely underwhelmed by it. And uh, I, I've since again, I managed to. Uh, to get it for 50p thank god um and yeah i i this this to me is you know as bad as you say the village is i actually think this is even worse okay and the, and i've got my reasons why i think it's even worse is because at least with the village even though the twist and everything is 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 bollocks but the 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 stilted the stilted acting uh, of, of, you know, what are a, a very good ensemble of actors generally. Um, I can sort of, if, if, if I had to sort of put like a fan's answer to it or whatever, I could say, well, you, you know, these characters, they, they, they act a bit 
unusual because of the circumstances that they live in and that and, and, and that they believe. So, you know, they believe they're living in 1800, whatever it is, and they believe, you know, that, that the world works this way and, you know, that there's, there's, there's a threat out in the forest that they've got this kind of... Um, you know, peace agreement with providing they don't cross these boundaries, and and you know that that's how they've been brought up, and this is the sort of world they live in, and they don't have you know technology and and all of this sort of thing, and and I could almost make the excuse that that's why the performances are so stilted and, and feel so odd. You know, if if I, if I was giving if I was giving um, M. Night more credit than he probably deserves for that film, I'd say, oh, yeah, well, that was intentional in order to give us that, um, that feeling of oddness. However, when we get to the happening, which is clearly <laughs> happening in the real world, um, you, you know, in 2008 or whenever it was set, you know, in, in actual places in the U.S., you know, starting off in Central Park, um, what puzzles me with this film more than anything is, and, and, you know, Mark Wahlberg gets a lot of shit about, you know, being really bad in this, but the thing is, Ooh, it's me? not, yeah, Ooh. but and he is, he is, he is, he is God awful, but <laughs> yes. it's not just Mark Wahlberg, the oh, entire no. cast of this film I don't know what direction they were given or what they thought they were doing, but nothing about this film is convincing or feels real at all, okay? I mean, yes, you know, we've got characters put into this extraordinary circumstance with this, you know, you know the fact that, 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 that people are jumping off buildings and running over themselves with lawn mowers and jumping into, you know, tigers' enclosures at the zoo and getting ripped to bits and doing all these odd things as a result of, well, to begin with, they don't know whether it's a, 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 a chemical, a toxic outbreak, whether it's some sort of terrorist attack, um, you, you know, airborne terrorist attack. You know, they don't know what it is, but people are behaving very odd and doing these things, but the... The, the people that aren't affected and the and the survivors the ones on this on this survival journey that this film's supposed to take us on through the sort of uh, north east of, of the US just nobody it's, it's as if the whole cast are infected with this as well because nobody in this behaves believable in any way, shape, or form, there's, there's, it's just, it's just really odd. The script and the performances are just, oh my god, you know, just I find it hard to almost put into words. It's a very, very, very strange film that really, really doesn't work in, in my opinion, on any level at all. Um, and I, I, again, I had trouble getting through this. Uh, it's only. It's barely 90 minutes long, but it, it, it feels so labored. And, um, you know, all of the characters that we come across in this, regardless of what pedigree of actor they are, just seem to be, I don't know, they're not playing it for laughs, but then they don't seem to be playing it straight. And 
it's just got a really weird feel to it. And um, and then the, the sort of conceit of this, that it's actually plant life. Um, and, you, you know, the... the, the um, the, the the threat is literally in the wind um, yeah. and the decisions that the characters make to try and avoid this and, and survive this, uh, it just, just none of it. I, I mean, I, I don't know whether I'm sounding insane here or not, but I, but I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't get this film at all. I, I didn't. Nobody gets this film. I, I'm I, I don't know if anybody I, likes this film, but I, I, I have to say, I, um, I didn't see this at the cinema. I knew what the twist was. Uh, it was on Sky. So I thought, you know what, I'll give it a go. And I hadn't laughed so much in my life. It was, well, it it was so ridiculous. It was yeah. so bad. It was funny. And I have to say, the first time I saw it, I really laughed. Everything that happened, every decision these guys made, their acting, it was so laboured. It was... It, they went to the M Night School of Acting. It was like just one note for everything. But it's supposed and to be a, a, a survival thriller, isn't it? It's supposed to be a post-apocalyptic psychological thriller, is what it's supposed mm -hmm. to be. Yeah. And it just yeah. there's nothing thrilling about it. I mean, it's just um, it, it just makes no sense at all. And this is the problem. I've got no no problem at all with with. I think the 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 basic concept, you know, the the, the sort of um, logline of this film, um, I don't necessarily have a problem with, but the way the execution of it is 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 terrible. And I mean, apparently the script was that this this was one of these films that was rushed out um, during the two thousand and into production during the two thousand and seven. Uh, Writers Guild strike, yeah, and oh my God, does it show? Because the the the, you know, again, where we're talking about the man that made this wonderful nuanced script about a um, a kid that sees dead people and whatever. This this there's there's no, it feels like there's no care taken over over this whatsoever, and um, you, you know, he really has in this film lost his touch completely because I can't, you know, with me, I always try and find one thing that I would like to say, well, you know, okay, this isn't good, but you know, there's, there's usually one thing in a film that, that, that kind of, no matter how bad the film is, there's one thing you can hang something on and have something good to say about, but I literally cannot find anything good to say about this i think it's woeful i really do you know shame on you m night you know i'm glad you i'm glad you've had a return to form now but this was a particular low point in my opinion <laughs> well supposedly this was his return to form it was just like oh it was just so bad i mean it's just can you say anything good about it, though? Because that's the thing. I want to. I feel like I'm being just awful here, but I can't. I mean, I I laughed at the whole thing. It was just so ridiculous. I mean, it was his message film. You know, uh, we better start looking after the planet before it decides. You know, start killing us. But that that totally doesn't uh, it, work, does it? No, that it doesn't, doesn't work, work no. at all. 
because it's I, nothing it's, to do with hubris and you know or man's no. arrogance or anything no. that would make no, that sort just, of story work it's just it, it's just one day the plants decided that they didn't like us anymore <laughs> and started uh putting out this toxin that made us kill ourselves and when he has the conversation with the plastic plant, I just, <laughs> yeah. like, I just, I just, like, I didn't know if I was supposed to laugh or not. I laughed I was like, my head off. I really laughed my head off. I mean, the second time watching it for this uh, was painful. It was uh, whatever fun enjoyment I found from watching it the first time. I think because the first time you didn't know what was going to happen. So you did. It was just so funny. And... Um, and just the way it was all shot, it was kind of matter of fact, the deaths, and there was no... Yeah. Again, you didn't care for anybody, so well, you didn't. somebody did die. Yeah. Uh, you know. I didn't care, just... and I didn't buy the relationship between these two lead characters at all. I just didn't... I didn't... I, I, I don't know. I just didn't buy it. Um, it well, it I was... mean, the, the thing is, you've got... They, they have this situation where um, there's... Was it... There's, there's a guy hitting on Zoe Deschanel's character and we're not sure if she's had a fling or something. Uh, I know it seems like, you know, there's, there's some, something going on with their relationship, her and Mark Wahlberg in the film. And uh, you're never quite sort of told what it is. So that final shot where she finds out she's pregnant and she actually smiles for once, mm. um, you know, it's not deserved. It doesn't mean anything. Exactly. It's, just, it's not earned in any way. In any way, and, yeah. And, and again, we, I don't... have not got to know the characters at all. I no. mean, this is, I mean, if you take uh, a disaster movie, you know, like uh, The Poseidon Adventure or the, you know, Towering Inferno, we get to know these characters before the actual Inferno starts. Yeah. And so, you know, this whole... But even... I mean, you, could, you could have had the incident in Central Park I mean, that was the whole thing. The whole incident in Central Park was hilarious. I mean, you know, the, the girl stabbing herself in the throat is just... It's just well, like... Because there was nobody there going, what are you doing? What are you... Stop, stop. You know, because they're all affected by this M. Night uh, virus. It's like, my acting is now going to become shitty and terrible and stilted. Yes. It's, it is. It's like M. Night designed his own virus. It was called you know, awful fucking acting. It was just like... Uh. Well, apparently, I mean, I, I read somewhere that he described this film as, you know, it's it's like based on a paranoia movie from the 1960s along the lines of the birds or invasion of the body snatchers. And I'm thinking, who are you kidding? It's got no, no, none of that pathos in this story whatsoever. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah. it's... And also, I don't know whether I missed something, and I really couldn't be bothered to sort of wind it back and look again. <laughs> yeah. But did I miss something? Because the whole thing with the mood ring was, it was set up as if it was supposed to be a plot device or something, but... You didn't miss anything. That was just, it was just thrown away. Well, it made it no just, sense. It just, it was like... Oh, I, I, when we first met, I bought you this mood ring, and uh, it was the color of, of passion. Yeah. And then it was, and then she goes, "Oh, we found out later. It just meant I was really horny." Yeah. 
No, exactly. Yeah. It really didn't. And I, it, I was it, expecting it, it. Nothing. The way they'd yeah. set it up, I was expecting it to be the thing that you know it changed color or something when he realized that it was the plant life or you, you know I thought it was going to actually be some sort of no I mean it wasn't no. a macguffin and it wasn't a plot device it wasn't no. either it was just it was nothing it was just confusing it just like, looked stupid no. you know it was like what 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 is I I don't know I really I really am trying to 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 find one thing that I can say was good about this, but I really can't. I mean, this to me is is worse than the village. Yeah, I, this is somebody. This think. is somebody really trying, and this is somebody who's come off the back of uh, Lady in the Water, loads of negative publicity about it. You know, everybody having. A well, that film's not as not, bad as this. <laughs> you yeah, know, well, Lady in the Water is not as bad as this film. Yeah, but this is more. Lady in the Water is more offensive. Yeah, I mean, also the fact his attack on critics as well didn't go down very well, did it? No. So it, it did feel like somebody under pressure, and it just literally, it, it felt like a first draft. It was like, oh, I wrote it. Here we go. Well, I think it was. I really think it because because I didn't believe the way that any of these um, in a survival situation, you know, mm -hmm. if this was real, there'd be mass panic. Yeah. Oh fuck but, yeah! But, but but nobody. I mean, when they get off the train in some little town, I forget what That's it's called. That's right. Yeah. But the, the 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 train conductors and drivers are just stood there having a little sort of meeting amongst themselves, and he comes. You know, Mark Wahlberg's character is the only one who actually comes and asks them what's going on, and they're all sort of totally laid back about oh well this is the end of the line you know we're stopping here yeah. and we've we've, and we've lost contact what do you mean we lost contact yeah nobody's there yeah. and you're like fuck me you, if any if that was anything else you'd be like what yeah and you get one yeah, woman one woman on a phone that? one woman on a phone talking oh, to a talk with everybody else gathered round and then Mark Wahlberg comes he's never met this woman before comes and starts telling her what what she should tell her daughter or whatever and i'm like what you know oh god <laughs> that's yes. so unrealistic use the use, use <laughs> of technology in this is hilarious i mean the scene with the uh the guy in the the uh <laughs> in the lion's den oh. oh that was hilarious and you think oh they're gonna cut we're not they're not gonna show this bit and then they, they cut back to him and he's got an arm missing and you see the the lion take off his other CGI arm. It's just yeah. oh, and and the reaction so of the people watching it is like nothing. It's like nothing. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm like seriously, would people? Re You'd be absolutely horrified if you saw something like that. You know? Yeah, nobody, um, no, not even one person turned away. No, you know, it's just like it's just like, and oh, don't don't get me on the the guy who keeps going about hot dogs. Oh, that's oh, yeah, again, good, awful. Yeah. Awful. I it's was like, like, we have you really not got anything else to say? It's like, what will this character say? Oh, he likes hot dogs. Well, let's talk about hot dogs. Yeah. And then, of course, you got the really dark bit in one place where I was like, what the hell? And again, it's not earned, but they, 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 they just meet these, um, oh, these the kids ran randomly oh, in a field. And then, that's not dark. That's hilarious. <laughs> Those two little sods deserved everything they got. Well, yeah, I know, but I didn't. I must admit that was the only bit that I kind of didn't expect because I was like, "Oh shit," you know. Okay, whatever. But you know, um, 
the, the, the fact that they both get sort of blown away. Um, <laughs> they get their heads shot. And, and it's like, geez. But, yeah, but I, oh, yeah. it's just senseless. It's a completely nonsensical film. Oh. And I mean, they're shocking and there was just that. I mean, it was just up to, at, at that point, you just took every death to be, you know, a comical. I mean, it was, I think the only scene which kind of, I thought, kind of worked all right even though it's in the stupid film, was um, after the uh, the attack in Central Park, where you see the the, the uh, construction workers oh jumping off the building, and you got the there's they're sitting there having their conversation over lunch, and then they just they hear this bang behind them. They see that when their colleagues have fallen down, it's like oh no, uh, Johnny's fallen down. Oh no, and then suddenly you hear this another bang. And you look, and they look behind them. There's another person falling down, and then suddenly there's more and more. And then that just one shot, the construction worker looking up, and you just see those guys just walking off over the edge. I thought, oh, that's that's kind of good, mm-hmm. you know. But that was probably it. I mean, after that, it was just, and it's just sort of, uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg's teacher sort of going on about the bees. Where the bees go? It's really you know. unconvincing. Yes, yeah. it's, it's yeah. supposed to be that. Sort oh, of that weird bit when the headmistress comes in and he's like, "Ooh, oh yeah, yeah it's the evil the headmistress." Lights. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, exactly. It's like uh, uh, HR should have come in with her or something. You know, yeah. it's like what? But no, <laughs> sorry, I, I, kids, this isn't your teacher. This is a crazy person who's come off the street. That's what I thought at one point. Again, I was thinking, is this? Is everybody acting weird because of this, you know, no. airborne? But but they're not, are they? It's just because it's bad. They're acting weird because they're in an M. Night Shyamalan yeah. film. <laughs> and that's what we... Exp- and, and that, for some reason, yeah. is what he thought people wanted. Yeah. It's like, you know... And it's it was... Unfortunately, the, the seeds were sowed in Unbreakable, this whole kind of... What, the airborne no, seeds... <laughs> <laughs> the airborne seeds indeed the the, the m night virus uh you know this whole kind of acting style which it, film by film got worse and worse and uh, just did not work for this film it's just you know just you know it's just laughable it's yeah. so laughable it, it, it's I mean, it's for me it was definitely yeah. the you know as i said this okay there's a couple of films i haven't seen but out of what I had seen, this yeah, was so, easily yeah. hell for me. I was like, yeah, "This is this is more. even worse than the village, even worse <laughs> than the village." You know, in my opinion. You know, there's but, yeah. Uh, this is this is sort of uh, the, when he sort of hit the bottom and uh, didn't kind of recover from it for a while. Well, I mean, it, uh, it's funny because if you look at a lot of the directors that we talked about, there are mm-hmm. quite a few that over, you know that. Have had sort of highs in their career, and then as they've got older, they, their careers have kind of drifted off and, and gone downhill. Okay, but what's really weird, what's kind of unique about M. Night is the fact that his career has almost done like a U shape because it, yes. y- 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 you know, because it did, it started off incredibly high and then gradually got worse and went down into this well culminating in this film in my opinion is, is, is the lowest point and then um but you know we are seeing this return to form and 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 you know, you know like his last couple of films as we've both said have been very enjoyable again and very well made again so um 
Well, I mean, he kind of, I think he kind of woke up to, you know, to what he was. I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, I mean, we we bring us down all to ego, but I mean, also the fact that this is a, a man who who was working very hard. I mean, the fact that he did um, the Sixth Sense and then he did Unbreakable the following year. I mean, there's not much of a gap there, really. So. No. You know, that's that's a sign of somebody working very hard. You yeah. Know, you know, there's no break. So if you don't go away, you know, recharge yourself, have a have a think, you know, live a little. If all you're just doing is chasing chasing the dragon. This is a guy who was chasing the dragon. And the dragon was being held up as this great auteur. Which, you know, he just, his, how he was being sold and how he actually was, was, you know, he was, there were poles apart. Yeah. He was as sold as the next Steven Spielberg and he wasn't. No. And he was just chasing the Sixth Sense Dragon. It was like, I want another big hit, bigger than the Sixth Sense. And to get that, I'm just going to follow the same formula. And if you're gonna make this, if you're just gonna keep making the same uh, kind of story, then it's just gonna get worse and worse. I mean, I I can speak from personal experience. I made a short film called Firepower. Uh, I you know it did pretty well. Uh, I was very happy with how it turned out. And then uh, sort of my third film uh, blocked. I follow the similar formula to how I'd done uh, Firepower. And Blocks was fucking awful. And I will happily, you know, say that. I, I think it wasn't, I mean, it, it didn't turn out the way I wanted. Uh, uh, some of the choices made, you know, acting-wise, which I agreed to at the time, just didn't work out. And it just made an awful film. But I was trying to, use the same formula I had used for a film that worked and it didn't work this time and that's how I so feel about what did you learn what did you learn from that then in in terms of and to try yourself. different things just, you know try telling stories in different ways I mean <laughs> hence you, modern love <laughs> yes yes yeah but I mean it's if you try and if every story you tell is told in a similar way and M. Knight's similar way was that it had to have a twist. Yeah. This is the thing I, I, I've said for a long time, is I would like to see him make a straight film. A story that has a beginning, middle and end, and does not have a twist. You know, it's... Everybody else has seemed to have learned that lesson. Why not him? Mm. And I, I had hoped that he had learned that lesson with his comeback films, with Split... And with Glass. And I think with Split, you know, the twist was minor. It was just, it was a nice little nod to say, actually, this this isn't a standalone film. This is part, this is in the Unbreakable universe. You're like, oh, oh, cool. That's cool. It doesn't change the story one bit. Glass, well, yeah, you know, he had to go there. He had to make the, the twist a bit bigger. And mm. My worry is now that he's just going to go back to his old ways. Oh, it's got to have a twist. 
Yeah. Yeah, just make a straight story. About four years ago, he did do what many um, producer directors have done, and he uh, he got involved in um, a TV show called Wayward Pines, um, which was a sort of mystery science fiction thriller based on um, a series of novels by an author called uh, Blake Crouch. And um, okay. I did actually, I, I, I have to say, I did watch the, 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 the series. He, it was one of those things where he was executive producer. He, he, um, he adapted the, 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 the original script from, from the novel and he directed the, the pilot episode. I think he, he may have done more than one episode. I can't remember. But um, it was one of those shows. It was a mystery box show. So, you know, su surprise, surprise. Um, and, uh, you know, the first season starred Matt Dillon. And um, it, was, it was interesting. It was one of these shows where you thought, oh, am I actually going to get any answers? And then you did get some answers, and they were quite shocking answers. And, the, and it, it sort of it felt like it had sort of a, a definite end. But then they... They brought it back for a second season, uh, this time starring Jason Patrick as a different character, but set in the same sort of world. And um, I seem to remember, unfortunately, you know, I've watched so much stuff that it, it has sort of blended in with a load of stuff. But oh, okay. uh, it's one of those that, that basically it got up to a point and there was, a, again, another, another sort of big science fiction, high concept reveal. And then it didn't, you know the series ended and it didn't get picked up for any more so it was kind of it was kind of left in a, in a bit of a not not quite a cliffhanger but you know it could have carried on if if they picked it up and um you know i don't know beyond directing the the, the pilot and serving as the sort of executive producer um credit on the show i don't know how involved he was with it beyond that. But I, re I remember at the time, as I said, it's, it's quite forgettable, but um, I didn't mind it. I did tune in and, and, and watch it at the time. And, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was sort of decent mystery television. Um, you know, it was reasonably well made. But it, as I said, it lasted two seasons of 10 episodes per season. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, he got involved in that, like you know, well, like like most filmmakers do now. Obviously, realizing this sort of rich uh, television world that we live in now. But um, but as I said, how how hands on he actually was beyond the pilot episode, I'm not entirely sure. You know, of, often these um, these named you know filmmakers will come in and they'll they'll do the pilot and then they'll kind of get a, 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 an EP credit for the for the rest of the show but whether or not they're necessarily involved that heavily in the in the writing and development I beyond yeah. that I don't know yeah so. I mean I'm just looking at his IMDb credits and uh, yeah he's got a, another TV series that he's uh, executive producing but uh, at the moment there isn't a title for it so it's oh, right. un, Untitled M. Night Shyamalan Project TV oh, there series. you go. <laughs> and he's also got another film in the works called Labour of Love. Oh, well, let's, well, let's hope it is. <laughs> yes. let's, see, uh, let's see what happens. Because I think, I, think, I think if he does make a film, A Labour of Love, it can turn out like a sixth sense, which is great. But, um, 
But if not, if, it, if it's an undeveloped, it'll turn out like the happening, which I wish yes. didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the crappening. Mm. Good title. Like it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like, like I said at the beginning, we could almost do an entire pod series on, on this guy. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, I, I, I think it's sort of in, in conclusion, um, he is a director... You know, we talk about a lot of directors that, that that sort of follow a certain path and are good at certain things or try different things. But he, this this guy, really is the guy of extremes, isn't he? He's 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 done both extremes of 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 our movie heaven, movie hell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's somebody who um, you know he 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 has a talent for talent, you know. We're making films. It's just unfortunate that uh, he decided to become, a, you know, one trick pony. We should have probably picked him as our, um, uh, you know, our, our, the, the 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 director that we launched our series on, <laughs> because <laughs> because he really is the epitome of um, yeah. movie, movie heaven, heaven movie, movie hell. Movie yeah. hell yes. <laughs> but I'm yeah. I'm glad we left it to now because uh, obviously. You know, we were able to talk about glass and split, and you know those those things as well, which is yeah. definitely a return to form. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, otherwise, I think if it wasn't for that return to form, I I I would find it hard to talk about him really. Yeah. Because it's 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 easy to bash somebody when they're down. Yes. And there are and there are lots of directors with letter S in there last name to talk about aren't there so yes yeah, yes <laughs> a long uh, list yes yes a long <laughs> list indeed all right cool well so keith where can people find out more about your work <laughs> okay well if you go to youtube and put in british isles that's e-y-l-e-s um there's some short films that i've uh, made on there um and you can get in touch that way um, also, I am actually involved at the moment in another podcast. My God, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm a traitor. I'm cheating on Simon. Um, and uh, that is called the Premier Scene Pod, or Premier Scene Podcast, I guess. Um, and that can be if you Google Premier Scene. Um, our good friends Claire and Anthony Bueno, um, they. They run a, 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 well, where they do a lot of premieres, as, as the title suggests. <laughs> and um, uh, y- you can find out more about that there. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, that, 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 that's about it. Uh, and as always, uh, you can uh, find my work at independentrunnings.com. Uh, uh, still working on the feature. Still working on Modern Love. We're getting closer to finishing, so... Uh, Hopefully soon I'll be able to let people know the good news. It's all done. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube and all good podcasts. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher. It all helps. Well, hopefully we'll get to do another director soon. Yeah, that'll be good. (laughs) It's been been interesting to return to... uh as i said yes. our old format and um but i know we've got a lot of specials coming up over the coming months as well haven't we we do indeed so yes join us again for the next episode of movie heaven movie hell
I hear you whispering. Planning on stealing something? No, ma'am, we're not. Plan on murdering me in my sleep? What? No. What? No. What? 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 No. What? 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 No. Ma'am, we're not. What? No. What? 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 No. What? 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 No. What? 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 I hear you whispering. What? No. What? 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 No. What? 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 No. What? 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 No. Ma'am, we're not. What? No. What? No. What? No. What? No. Why would you just stop? You can't just leave us here. Sir, we lost contact. With whom? Everyone. What? Just stop. You can't just leave us here. What? Just stop. You can't just leave us here. What? Just stop. You can't just leave us here. What? No. What? Just stop. You can't just leave us here. What? Just stop. You can't just leave us here. What? Just stop. You can't just leave us here. What? No. What about? Hey, what about? What? That? Body snatchers. No. Or the bird. What? I'm not gonna see this, am I? What? And then you see it. What? In terms of the exorcist. What? No. And the Godfather. You're just shocked. Your mouth is hanging open. And when we screened it for the first time, people came out and they were so shaken. They were just, they just stood outside and like holding their arms and stuff. And I was like, this is good. This is really good. What? No.